I appreciate you braving the weather, the elements to be here this morning or this evening. And uh, we had some storm last night. I'll tell you what, I don't remember the last time we had that much hail at our home. Did you all rights have some hail your way? What's that? Seriously. <laughs> Warren, did you have hail your way? Very much, though? Very much? Really? There's still piles of hay. Hay. <laughs> piles of hell. Hay. <laughs> hay. Of hail out our way. Still piles of it. It's incredible how much we had. Really? Uh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, with the Hayes Market and the McDonald's down there in Johnstown, where this afternoon there were ruts where people were driving through it this deep. It's just incredible, incredible, yeah. Well, we're studying the book of Isaiah, and so you want to turn to chapter number 37. Should not surprise us that we had hail. We're living in Colorado, and that's just what happens in Colorado. You never know what kind of weather you're going to get. Like I mentioned last week, we are in a series of chapters right now leading up to Isaiah chapter 40. And these few chapters, Isaiah 36, 37, 38, 39, are historical events. So God came to Isaiah and gave him the prophecy of what was going to happen as far as judgment. Of course, God was warning him that Assyria, which had come and captured the northern ten tribes, would continue to march and, uh, and, and attack Judah. But uh, they, he, had, he gave them, out of his mercy, he gave them a chance to repent. And uh, that's really been the last 35 chapters. Last week and tonight and the next week and possibly the next, we're going to be looking at these few chapters of the actual event taking place. And then once we get through the actual history, we'll start chapter 40. From 40 through the rest of the book is a look once again. Most of that is a look to the future, to the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And so let's get back into it here. If you're taking notes, Roman number one is Hezekiah's response to Rabshakeh's threats. Rabshakeh and the Assyrian army now is encamped outside of Jerusalem. And Rabshakeh, one of the three generals of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, is shouting threats over the wall to the three officers of Hezekiah. I believe he was chosen because of his ability to speak Hebrew. He, his native tongue was Syrian, and, uh, and he came, and he was speaking Hebrew to them. And you'll remember last week, the officers there said, listen, switch over and speak this in the Syrian language, because we don't want the rest of our troops demoralized. And he said, basically, that's why I'm speaking in Hebrew, because I want to demoralize them. In Isaiah 37, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. When the officers gave their report and told Hezekiah what Rabshakeh had told him and the threats, he tore his clothing and he went and he put on the typical clothing of, of, uh, of repentance and sorrow and humiliation, that of sackcloth. It's basically like putting on a burlap sack. Very, very rough. Assyria was vastly more powerful. And they were determined to take the city. And so Hezekiah knew that the only thing he could do was go to the house of the Lord. That's where he went. A letter A is Hezekiah became overwhelmed after learning of their dire condition. 
Verse 2, And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, unto Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Letter B, Hezekiah sent his officers to the prophet Isaiah. Now it's interesting, there were several prophets prophesying at this time. Joel, Micah, Obadiah, and one named Hosed, but likely Isaiah was the only one available or the closest one available at this time. And so Hezekiah sent word to Isaiah um, for, with a plea for prayer. Please pray for us. He, uh, Hezekiah undoubtedly told them to wear sackcloth. And of course, as these officers, these messengers came to the prophet dressed in sackcloth, immediately he would know the severity of the situation. Letter C. Hezekiah's message to Isaiah was urgent. Verse 3 says, And they said unto him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. Their message was grim. They told Isaiah all about Rabshakeh's threats and the mounted forces against them. Hezekiah used an analogy of a woman trying to deliver a baby, only the woman's too weak. She's incapable on her own of delivering the baby. That leaves both the mother and the baby in danger of death. Such was the condition of Jerusalem. This was a life and death situation now for God's people. Hezekiah recognized that within the threats of Rabshakeh were the directed words of chastisement from God. God was angry over the sins of his people, and he was using Assyria to open their eyes. Letter D, pray, for God may chastise Assyria for Rabshakeh's threats. Verse 4, it may be the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. Hezekiah considered that perhaps God would be so angered by the threatening words of Rabshakeh that he would intervene and reprove Assyria for their insolence. They had offended the God of Israel. Now Isaiah would pray for the last two tribes remaining, Judah and Benjamin. The ten tribes up north had already been taken over by Assyria. What well, The only ones left were Judah and Benjamin, as the other ten had been taken by Assyria. Psalm 74, 18. Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. O deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove under the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. We see David's heart as he pleads in the psalm with God, very similar to that of Hezekiah's. Number two, God's response to Hezekiah's prayer. And I want you just to remember, Hezekiah's in a pickle. He's in a mess now because the Assyrian army is out there and Rabshakeh has been throwing threats. The officers now have come and delivered the threats to Hezekiah. He realizes the condition they're in. He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth, and he sends a message to Isaiah, the prophet, please pray for us. Now, God answers. In letter A, God had heard Rabshakeh's threats and encouraged them to not be afraid. Verse 5 and 6, 
So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. It appears that God, God had a really fast turnaround. It looks like as soon as Isaiah got the request that he turned around and gave the answer back from God. He told Hezekiah's officers that God had told him to assure them they would not have to worry over the threats of Rabshakeh. God made it clear that he had heard the words, and he called those words blasphemous. Isaiah 65, 24, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isaiah 41, 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. It appears that even before the message got to Isaiah, God had delivered the answer. So Isaiah knew the answer perhaps before he even heard the question. So when the question came from Hezekiah, please pray for us, we're in dire straits, Isaiah knew exactly what to tell him because God had already delivered the message. Letter B. God would initiate a rumor to draw Sennacherib back to his homeland. Verse number 7 says, Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. It's interesting, the word blast here. I asked him this afternoon what the definition of blast was. And one of them gave me the exact answer I was looking at. And I said, you couldn't have known that. Well, they had their lexicon open, and they read what the dictionary said for that. Blast, when we think of blast, I said, sometimes we might say, boy, I had a really great day today. It was a, we might say, a blast. Or <laughs> you might be driving by this quarry, and all of a sudden, boom, you're in the blast zone. Well, this particular word comes from a word meaning spirit or wind. It's the word in the Old Testament where we get the word uh, Holy Spirit. Spirit or wind. So the thought here is that God was going to send a rumor which would come over them like a spirit or a spirit of a rumor. The rumor would draw him back to his own land where he would die by a sword. The following context seems to present a situation where Sennacherib got wind of an attack, causing him to leave to care for the trouble back home, back in Nineveh. The prophecy of death by sword was fulfilled as he was assassinated upon his return. Number one, underneath that, Rabshakeh followed Sennacherib to join his forces. So, so this rumor goes out, of course, as a spirit, God places a spirit, and Sennacherib gets this word that, uh, that they're being attacked. And so Sennacherib takes off and undoubtedly takes troops with him. Rabshakeh hears and follows Sennacherib back home. Verse number 8. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. So following the delivery of his vile threats against Hezekiah, Rabshakeh left to be an aide of Sennacherib. 
he caught up with Sennacherib fighting the city of Libna. Libna is a city in Judah about nine miles north of Lachish. Apparently, Sennacherib had mounted an attack against Lachish only to leave unsuccessful. Number two, this rumor, the spirit of a rumor, involved Ethiopia and prompted another threatening letter. Verse number nine, and he heard say concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, he is come forth to make war with thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying. So Sennacherib's rumor was that the king of Ethiopia was marching against Nineveh. That's the rumor he heard. Such news drew him away from Jerusalem to go back home and prepare for the attack. In his absence, so, so he's pulled back now away from Jerusalem. But he does not want to lose the momentum he has built up against Jerusalem, so he sends a letter of intimidation to them. Number three, Sennacherib's further threats. Verse 10, Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God, notice capital G, in whom thou trustest, deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Letter A, Sennacherib warned them to not believe their God. Sennacherib's letter began with a threat they may, that they not believe or have any hope that their God, capital G, would deliver them and keep Jerusalem from falling to the king of Assyria. Here is a bold, blasphemous reference to our God deceiving his people. Sennacherib said, your God is lying to you. Your God is telling you that he will deliver you. That's a lie. 2 Kings 18.5, speaking of Hezekiah, by the way, Hezekiah of the kings of Judah, was Hezekiah a good king or a bad king? Good king. Good king. Notice this. 2 Kings 18.5, he trusted, he, Hezekiah, trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. So if there's none like him after him and none like him before, how does it sound like God feels about Hezekiah? <laughs> He's number one. Incredible. Letter B, Sennacherib reminded them of the king's he had destroyed. Verse 11, Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? Sennacherib continued his threats, reminding Hezekiah to remember all the kings that he had already destroyed. He is so foolish to think that he has any chance of resistance, he said. In 2 Kings 19, 17, and 18, Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them, Hezekiah prayed. Letter C. Cities Sennacherib had soundly defeated... Sennacherib saying, you have no chance. We have defeated all these cities and their gods. You have no chance. In verse 12, 
Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed? As Gozon and Haran and Rezeph and the children of Eden which were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arphad, and the king of the city of Sepharvaim, Hena and Eva? He said, what happened to these cities, each trying to stand against our greater force? Their gods were powerless against us. What happened to them will surely be your fate as well. Hezekiah's prayer, number four. Verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So letter A, Hezekiah took the threat directly to God. He opened the letter and read it. And he says he spread it before the Lord. Well, it's interesting, and I was thinking about that. Why would he describe it as being spread out? When I get a letter, I open the seal and I take the letter out. And I lay it there. What he did was he took this scroll <laughs> and he unrolled the scroll. He laid it out before the Lord. What's interesting to me is the time before when he got the news from the officers that they were in such dire straits, he sent word to the prophet to pray. When the Assyrians left, and they received another threatening letter. This time, instead of him sending word to Isaiah to pray, Hezekiah took this threatening letter, and he himself went into the house of the Lord to pray. Uh, Psalm 91.1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord his God. Hezekiah was the greatest king, apparently, of Judah. Hezekiah took that threatening letter, and he laid it out before God. Letter B, Hezekiah addressed his God. So instead of praying through the prophet Isaiah, he prayed directly to God. Verse 15, And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims. Thou art the God. Even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Here we see him pleading directly to God. Though he had earlier asked Isaiah to pray for him, he now went directly to the source. He began his prayer with much praise. He reminded God of his sovereignty over all the nations of the world. God is all-powerful the supreme creator of all that is. Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Letter C. Isaiah was earnest in his prayer. Earnest. Verse 17, Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which thou sent to reproach the living God. When he says, incline thy ear, it means bend down and listen very carefully. Bend down and listen very carefully. <laughs> when I'm done preaching, 
Tonight is pastor and popcorn night. And what that means is I'm going to be leaving and going in with the master clubbers. And I'll sit on the floor with them, and they're going to be asking me questions like, what's it like to be a pastor, and what do you do as a pastor, and, and have some popcorn together. Now, I could go in there, and I could hover over them and look, <laughs> look down on them, and they look up at me. I could do that, but I want to connect with them. And so I'm going to get on the floor and look eye to eye to them. And that's what Isaiah is asking God to do. Lean down. Listen. Listen. God, listen to me. I need you so badly. Incline thine ear, he said. Of course, God heard Hezekiah praying. His plea demonstrated the intensity of his need. There are times when we find ourselves in desperate need of God's help. Then we may call out to him and beg him to listen to us. We see here this, uh, this fervent prayer, this earnest prayer. God has a way of a tendency of, of listening to those, those intense prayers. Far too often, I think, we go through our prayer time, and it's just like we're checking off a grocery list. But there are times when the pressures mount and when your life is being turned upside down and a pressure is hitting and the only solution you have is one that God can give. And you're on your knees and and you and God know that it has to be God. That earnest prayer, that's what's being described here. Letter D, the gods of the defeated nations were all destroyed. Verse 18 and 19, of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries and have cast their gods, small g, into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they have destroyed them. Isaiah began his request by reminding God of all the kings and nations that had fallen to Assyria's dominance. Their gods were destroyed and often tossed into the fire. However, they were not really gods. They were simply objects that men had made. He implied to God as, that as the supreme God, his reputation was at stake. I like this passage in Psalm, 11, or Psalm 115, verse 4 and following. I won't read it all, but this is the passage that starts this way. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. He's laughing at their false gods. Verse 20. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. Letter E. Deliver us and to show the world that you are God. He prayed that God would deliver them. And in so doing, prove that he is the one and only God. David prayed a similar prayer, Psalm 83, 17. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. <laughs> Here's God's answer. Letter A, God answered through 
Isaiah, verse number 11, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, God replied to Hezekiah's prayer through the prophet Isaiah. Apparently, very soon after his heartfelt prayer, God answered. So this time, Isaiah prayed, or Hezekiah prayed to God directly, but the prayer answered did not come to him. It came to Isaiah. And then Isaiah delivered it back. Letter B. God now began taunting Assyria. Verse 22. This is the word which the Lord hath spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. God is, has here turned the tables on Sennacherib. His people, called the virgin daughter of Zion, the Jews were now laughing at him over his threats. They were, in essence, shaking their heads in disdain toward the Assyrian potentate. God was now pushing Sennacherib's buttons, just like he had earlier done to them. Letter C. Assyria had made God their enemy. You don't want to do that. You don't want to make God your enemy. Verse 23. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? God wanted to clarify that it was he against whom the Assyrian reprobate was mocking. He held up his name as the Holy One of Israel. We see this title also used in Isaiah 30 and verse 12. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. Letter D. God let Sennacherib hear what his hot air sounded like. He's saying, Sennacherib, you're full of hot air. Verse 24 and 25. By thy servants hast thou reproached the Lord, and hast said, by the multitude of my chariots am I come up to the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and I will cut down the tall cedars thereof, and the choice fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the height of his border, and the forest of his carmel. I have digged and drunk water, and with the sole of my feet have I dried up all the rivers of the besieged places. Basically, God is repeating back to Sennacherib his pompous threats. It's almost like he's got this uh, recorder and he hits play button and he's playing back to Sennacherib what he already said just so that he could hear how pompous he sounded. Letter E, more braggadocious threats of Sennacherib. Verse 26, he continues, Hast thou not heard long ago how have I done it? And of ancient times that I have formed it, now have I brought it to pass that thou shouldst be to lay waste defensed cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and as the green herb, as the grass on the housetops, and as corn blasted before it could be grown up. 
God continued rehearsing the boastful threats Sennacherib had made in trying to demoralize God's people. God was, in essence, setting Sennacherib up for his final knockout punch. Letter F. God told Sennacherib that he knew where he lived. Verse 28, he said, But I know thy abode, and thy going out, and thy coming in, and thy rage against me. God told him that he knew exactly where he lived and what he did. He knew all about his aggression against other nations. But his greatest concern was his offense against the God of the Jews. Letter G. God had heard every word against him and would now respond. Verse 29. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into mine ears, therefore will I put my hook in his nose, or thy nose, and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. Sennacherib had threatened Jerusalem, but his taunts were really against Jehovah God. God had heard every word and would now proceed to respond to his, the word used is tumult. It could be translated arrogance by forcing him back to Nineveh just like he would a rebellious animal. He puts a ring in his nose, a bridle in his lips. Letter H. God gave to Hezekiah a sign of encouragement. Verse 30. And this shall be a sign unto thee. Ye shall eat this year such as groweth of itself. And the second year that which springeth of the same. And in the third year, sow ye, and reap, and plant vineyards, and eat the fruit thereof. Now at first glance, you say, well, I don't understand. Why is this a blessing? You've got to understand, Hezekiah is expecting the Assyrian army to completely take them and to take them captive like they did the northern kingdom all the way to Nineveh. That was his expectation. And God is saying, that's not going to happen. In fact, you, this next year, are going to eat of the fruit of the ground. The following year, you're going to eat of what comes up. And then, that third year, you're going to actually plant crops right where you are, and you're going to eat of those crops. That's three years, God is telling him, that they will still be there in Jerusalem. This is an encouragement. Number one, God's people would once again be able to thrive. Verse 31, And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Notice the word remnant. Those are those of Judah that are still in Jerusalem. At this time, we learn that uh, when Rabshakeh and his Assyrian forces got to the wall of Jerusalem, all the other cities of Judah had already fallen. The only ones left free, if you will, are those in Jerusalem, here called the remnant. Those remaining in Jerusalem, or the remnant, would once again be able to root themselves both agriculturally and socially. Isaiah 10.20, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord and the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant shall return even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, 
yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Number two, God promised deliverance to his remnant. Verse 32, for out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant. And they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, shall do this. Here God says he is going to save his people, a remnant who would escape from the oppressive hand of Sennacherib. God promised by himself to accomplish their deliverance. Number three, God promised safety to his people. In verse number 33, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. Now this is incredible news because the Assyrian army was camped right outside of Jerusalem. The army was there. They're ready to march against the city. They got called back to Nineveh, but they're ready to march back. And here God says, you need not fear because they will not breach the city. God promised safety to his people. Number four, God promised that Sennacherib would return home without breaching the city walls. Verse 34, by the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, would return to his home the same way he came, yet in utter defeat. Again, God stamped his statement with his promise. I will do it myself, he said. And number five, God promised to protect the city of Jerusalem. Verse 35, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. For God's own purposes, he had chosen to protect Jerusalem. It was his will to honor the agreement that he had made with David hundreds of years earlier. That promise guaranteed a continuance of David's seed on Judah's throne. Letter I. God destroyed the Assyrian army. In verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went forth. Let's not forget. Initially, Hezekiah tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, sent a message to Isaiah, the prophet, to pray. Isaiah did pray. God, sent a God through Isaiah, sent a message of deliverance. Uh, Sennacherib and Rabshakeh went back to Nineveh because of the rumor. But they sent a threatening letter saying, you have no right to think that God's going to deliver you. Hezekiah took that letter, set it out before God, and prayed himself. And God then sent a, 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 a message of encouragement through Isaiah, saying that God will deliver. Now we see God doing that very thing. He's now following through on his promise. Verse 36, Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Outside of the wall of Jerusalem was a graveyard of 185,000 Assyrian troops. God's offense ended in the decimation of the Assyrian army. Number six, Sennacherib's demise. Verse 37, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed 
and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. So letter A, Sennacherib returned home defeated. According to God's prediction, he made his way back to his home in Nineveh. This time, instead of the typical victory celebration of him bringing his troops into town after destroying a city or a nation, this time his troops were dead. And he comes in as a failure, defeated and humiliated. Letter B, Sennacherib was murdered in the temple of his God. Verse 38, and it came to pass as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his God, that Adremelech and Sharizar, his son, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his stead. One of the first places undoubtedly Sennacherib must have gone when returning home was the temple of his God, Nisroch. For unexpressed reasons, two of his sons killed him with a sword, and then they escaped to Armenia. They likely were intolerant of his loss and could not take his humiliation. In his stead reigned another of his sons named Esarhaddon. So we're about halfway through the history now. There's a couple chapters before we get into chapter 40 and the millennium. Praise God for answered prayers. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. Thank you for giving us this chapter, and Lord, this incredibly victorious chapter. Now, Lord, you gave to Hezekiah and to those in Jerusalem a great victory on that day. But much before this, they didn't know what you were going to do. They were paralyzed in fear. They were hearing the threats, and they were so scared. And they called out to you, and you answered them, and you delivered them. And today, we serve the very same all-powerful God. So help us, Lord, to come to you with our needs and to pray, and to pray earnestly. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.